You're listening to the B Fox and B Frank show. Week one is here. Week zero happened in college football. Um, fairly uneventful, with one large exception, which we'll get to in a moment. But looking ahead to week one, one of the best opening slates, I think, maybe in college football history. I don't know. Five ranked matchups early in. Uh, I mean, it's it's certainly exciting to hit the ground running as a fan. Yeah, it, part of it might be just because last year everything that happened and, and not be really expecting. But I mean, these are five pretty fun games when you when you dive into each and every one of them. And uh, I obviously the Big Ten is kicking off pretty pretty hardcore here with with two really good games, um, but. It's nice to see, you know, Alabama, Georgia challenging themselves as well in week one. Yeah, I don't necessarily love the Big Ten switching over to having a lot of, almost might be exclusively this year, but season openers being conference games. Um, yeah. Kind of like easing into that a little more. Um, but again, I think that might have been more when my team sucked. But Last week it started week zero, Nebraska at Illinois, the only power five on power five matchup of a very limited slate and a big opportunity for Nebraska to silence some of the critics and doubters. And it instead turned out to be a coming out party for one Bert Bielema. God bless Bert. He he knows his style is going to struggle in Illinois, and yet he still plays it week one, year one, and they come out with a win. Brad Peters gets hurt early, and in a game between Illinois and Nebraska, the winner actually ends up being a Rutger transfer. Who would have who thought? Who had that on their bingo card week one? Not me. Or zero, I guess. Week zero. Um he was efficient. He made the right plays when he needed to. The only time he really screwed up, it was it was brought back on a roughing the passer call. And Illinois played within themselves, I think, is is the biggest key. Defensively, as as we mentioned last week, uh, Nebraska's offensive line is horrendous. And they, they showed that this week. Illinois getting pressure all day on Adrian Martinez. If he wasn't as athletic as he is, this game probably would have been a double-digit, 20-plus-point blowout. Yeah, I I almost kind of look at it the other way. Like, I think where that game really turned is, well, you said the interception that wasn't. Um, Cam Taylor-Britt, we talked about last week, um, getting the pick, but then the combination, roughing the passer and um, celebration penalty on Nebraska, mm-hmm. quick 30 yards, suddenly Illinois is in striking distance for the first time all afternoon. They take advantage, score a touchdown, and then it's a much more competitive game throughout. Um, kind of the way I was watching that game for the first quarter plus, really, really, really ugly game. Um, of yes. course, the first points were a safety on a punt returner just forgetting where he was on the field. But um, kind of seemed like one of those games where Illinois was going to be a bit anemic, um, which is to be understood given how they performed in the past first game of a new regime. But Forget, Brett Bielema in the Big Ten has been a very, very successful coach. Um, so he certainly has what it takes to win in the less competitive Big Ten West. He did it on a elite scale at Wisconsin, Illinois. Mm-hmm. If you can win these type of games, they're going to be 
a lot better of a program than they've been in quite some time. Yeah, and I can't remember the stat exactly off the top of my head, but it's something like 13 losses now for Scott Frost at Nebraska in one-score games. Um, exactly not what they're looking for. And the, the Nebraska tweets were just phenomenal all weekend long, specifically the reminder that Bo Pelini was fired for winning nine games. Yeah, and the other favorite one I kept seeing was Scott Frost has to go 37-1 and one in his next 38 to match Jim Harbaugh. Yes. Um, at Michigan. Because for some reason, those two keep being brought up in, you know, the same breath as hires that didn't work out. If anything, Harbaugh is Bo Pelini, who you fire for winning nine games a year. And then the yep. next guy would be someone like Rich Rod. Unfortunately, we know that won't repeat itself. But that's that's who Scott Frost is closer to in terms of wins and losses. Um, right. Amongst his Michigan brethren. But you hate to see it. Couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. Um, yeah, just the the fall from grace from his time as national darling at UCF continues. The people's champ at UCF. Yeah. Real shame. Oh well. Um, but anyway, that was that was the biggest story from college football week zero. Um, yeah, five ranked matchups to cleanse our palates and a plethora of other high quality games, you know, not featuring ranked on ranked, such as Ole Miss, Louisville, Florida state, Notre Dame, um, and many more. Um, but we have to start with Nick Saban, Alabama taking on De'Ara King and Miami in Atlanta. Nick Saban at Alabama week one has played in a, lot of these high profile matchups and without fail it seems like it always turns into a runaway for the crimson tide do you see this game following a similar script i think i have to say yes history has continuously repeated itself when it comes to nick saban and alabama what gives me pause is i still don't know what the miami defense what to expect from the miami defense they lost quite a bit last year we know what De'Ara King brings, especially now healthy. Uh, they've got the skill position players. They've got talent. They've got a solid offensive line. The question is defense. And if, or I guess what this Alabama offense looks like now that they are having to reload, losing so many of their key playmakers, including now week one starter for New England, Mac Jones. Yeah. Yeah. Um... I think it, it will certainly be strength on strength when Miami has the ball, um, at least to start the season. I think Alabama's offense will certainly progress, but this is a little bit of a bigger ask um, just in terms of overall matchup week one. Like they're still certainly going to have the advantage when they have the ball. And I think that's a big part of the problem for Miami. I think if you put out a more well-rounded team, um, similar to how North Carolina has really built up around Sam Howell under Mac Brown, I'd be feeling a lot more confident in the Hurricanes. Uh, we were mm-hmm. very, I was very hesitant to buy in last year. And then, of course, once De'Ara King went down, it became a completely different story. How much of their success is tied into him is very apparent. But Manny Diaz, being a defensive guy and how bad his defense was for long stretches of last year, especially at the end of the year, was pretty remarkable like 
the last time I can remember Manny Villa's defenses being that bad is late in the Mac Brown era, which ended up both of them seeing the door. But they're both back head coaches of top 15 teams in the division. I just don't think Miami has enough to to keep up. Like we've seen this story before. We've seen USC losing their mind for a season opener against Alabama. We've seen Florida State um, get up for a yeah. season opener against Alabama, and those not even that long ago, no less. Yeah, and those just both ended horrifically. I think Miami keeps it competitive for the first half, um, but I, I think. Bryce Young will will find his groove certainly by the second half and, and certainly against this defense. Like it's it's maybe not ideal game one going up against a top fifteen opponent, but there are tougher defenses that you could have cut your teeth against. So from that perspective, not as bad as it could be. And I mean Alabama's not one to shy away from a challenge anyway. Yeah, one hundred percent. I think you hit the nail on the head there. I I don't feel like – most week one Alabama games, I feel like you're reaching for the remote at halftime. You're saying, okay, they've got it in the bag. We're, let's, let's go watch something else that's more competitive. I don't see it being a halftime type game. I think this is more third quarter Alabama starts to make their mark. Um, and, and it starts to, to get away from Miami a little bit, whether that just be the score or time getting away from them and they, they just won't be able to – keep up because don't forget Alabama still has a stable of five-star running backs that they can just hand the ball off to the entire second half if they'd like and melt the clock. Yeah. I think if anything, like this season opener is more intriguing than one there's been for Alabama in a bit, because there is so much relative uncertainty on offense and just kind of who is going to take over. Um, John Mechie, obviously big time candidate Bryce Young will be leading the offense. um, But you know, besides Brian Robinson, who out of the backs is really going to assert themselves because more likely than not, there will be some garbage time in this game um, where Alabama will be going down the depth chart to to try to run some clock in the second half. Could be very presumptuous of me. That will not sound good if Miami finds a way to, to win the game, but that's, that's kind of how I'm looking right now. Like, Nick Saban does not lose these games, um, and I, I don't think that'll end here. Yeah, I'm with you. Another neutral site game, Clemson against Georgia. Most people's pick for game of the weekend. A big-time measuring stick for both teams. Clemson without Trevor Lawrence, DJ Glele taking over. As a full-time starting quarterback, Georgia under JT Daniels finally having a lot of confidence in their starting quarterback and... Many people saying, once again, is this the year that Georgia gets over the hump? Great way to find out playing Clemson week one. Who you got here? No doubt about it. This is this is what we've needed. We've needed this game for, for quite a while just to, just to set the stage for a college football season, I think. And it's normally we get some, you know, Auburn and some Pac-12 team where we know at the end of the year neither of them are really going to play a factor in the playoff race. This this feels like a playoff game. Uh, that's dumb of me to say because these are teams that have played in the playoff recently and, and are high quality, but I'm going to take Clemson in a very tight, low-scoring game. I 
just am not there yet with JT Daniels. I don't know. I don't know what to expect of him strictly because of the fact that it took Kirby so long to go to him last year. I understand he was still dealing with injuries and like getting healthy, but they were a completely different team when he came into the lineup and, and started at quarterback. So give me Clemson. I know what DJ can do. Defense is going to be very good. Offense still has some question marks, but Give me, give me Clemson. It's a tight, low scoring game. I think. I think we might go five for five this week. I don't know, but Uh-oh. I got Clemson too. I was re- this was probably the one I was closest on, um, and I really hope it delivers and is a phenomenal back and forth game uh, because these two teams are at the end of the day incredibly well matched and yeah, both defenses are national championship qualities we spoke at length last week um, how Georgia is able to handle Clemson's monster defensive line if, if they're going to be able to find enough paths for Zamir White to take pressure off JT Daniels in the passing game is really what I'm most excited to see um, like DJ has already proven he can ball out Lynjay Dixon is has been very very efficient in limited opportunities backing up Travis Etienne um, yeah I think he's actually second all time in yards per carry at Clemson behind DTN. So potentially seeing more of that. And then, uh, I mean, welcoming Justin Ross back is going to be really exciting. Um, happy for him that he's able to play again. Um, and sure. I, I think he's going to be a big boost to the lineup. And yeah, here Clemson by a field goal here. Or more. All, all too familiar start. <laughs> Um, now we go over to the big 10. Um, there are a couple intriguing matchups really to start the week. Ohio state going to Minnesota is a, uh, could be a sneaky good game. Um, yeah, because it's on the road, but I don't know. I feel like we've said that about Ohio state games a lot. And then we look up, they're up by 20. Um, but we talked at length about how good Minnesota can be, so that's one to keep an eye on, although the Gophers aren't ranked. In terms of ranked matchups, Penn State, Wisconsin, top 20 clash in Madison. People will be there jumping around for the first time in a couple of years, so that's exciting. Um, big bounce-back year needed for James Franklin um, after they started so horrendously last year. Wisconsin, of course, welcoming back Graham Mertz to show a different side of a normally boring Wisconsin offense. Who are you liking here? I'm going Wisconsin big. I, uh, I'm not a believer in Penn State. Uh, part of it feels like my disdain for James Franklin is just spilling over into thinking they're not a good team. Yep. They, they're talented. They're always going to be talented. I am just not convinced that this team will put it together. I think there are too many questions on the offensive line and in the defensive secondary. And I think Mertz, like we talked about last week, Mertz finally gives Wisconsin that what they've been looking for, basically, since Russell Wilson. Um, They're going to have a great run game still. The defense looks very good for Wisconsin as well. I think they they run this one up early and uh, keep the pedal to the metal. Finally, like you said, in front of a full crowd, in front of a full house, and I think that extra juice is going to propel them pretty quickly. 
And that is always an extremely tough place to play. And I, I think it'll be fun on the whole this season, just seeing that yeah. become a major factor nationwide. Um, because obviously, like, SEC is kind of doing their own thing last year. Uh, a lot of the country didn't really have fans. But now with most places back at capacity is going to be a ton of fun. This one right yeah. from the start. Um I think it'll be a little more competitive, but I also have Wisconsin. Um, I just really, I, I'm not, I'm not buying into to Sean Clifford really at, at quarterback at, at Penn State as someone who can take you to a New Year's Six Bowl or a top ten appearance or any of the things that Penn State really strives to do year in and year out. Um, yeah. It's it's going to be a tough matchup for their secondary. You talked about. Jaquan Brisker last week, the safety, going to have to really try to fool Graham Mertz, but Mertz and limited opportunities showed how talented he was last year. He's not going to be as good in this season opener as he was last year against Illinois. There's just no way he can possibly duplicate that, Um, although I would love it if he does. But, yeah, I I think they're going to continue to pound the rock. and utilize Jake Ferguson's short yarded red zone situations, but just having that extra element, the offense of being able to air it out when they need to, when they want to, just to catch defenses off guard. I think if we get a full season of Graham Mertz, it's going to be a very different looking Wisconsin team um, for the better. I think that'll start this week. So, yeah, like, like you said, just another dimension to. What is a pretty typically one-dimensional, or I guess you could say two-dimensional offense, going full-blown 3D, that is that is what Wisconsin has been waiting for. Yeah. Um, so could be uh, putting the rest of the Big Ten on notice if they're able to have a big performance at home, as we are both expecting them to have. It happened last year for a specific team against <laughs> Penn State in Week 1. Can it happen it again? It did. Let's talk about them. Um, except Indiana has to go to Iowa to take on sworn enemy Gary Barta and the Iowa Hawkeyes. For those who don't remember, that was the head of the college football playoff committee that decided that Indiana didn't deserve to play in the New Year's Six Bowl. Don't worry about what happened after that. Um, they boycotted they t- the bowl. Jack Tuttle did have to throw 40 times with a separated shoulder. Um, so that's that's going to be my excuse for that one. Um, but Indiana at Iowa, um, highly anticipated game for both fan bases. Um, both teams had strong seasons last year. Iowa, really after a slow 0-2 start, um, really picked it up under Petrus and Goodson. Um, and also the Hoosiers are playing. But... Who do we like here? This one, this was probably the toughest game of the week for me. Um, I assume it was not the toughest game of the week for you, but we're going to have the same answer. I'm going to take Indiana by a field goal. I think it's going to be an ugly first half as life at Kinnick typically is. Both teams are going to find their footing. Michael Penix is the difference maker here. Iowa doesn't have a Michael Penix, and they don't have anyone that can even remotely come close to what he can do offensively. The question is, can their defense contain him? And will he stay healthy for the entire game? Like, I I say that partly in jest, but also we 
have seen that he can be prone to injury, especially this the style that he likes to play. So I wonder, are they going to keep him in the pocket more? Are they going to overload protections for him? What what are they going to do to keep him on his two feet? Because at this rate, you don't want him taking any hits to take any risks. But when he has time and space, he is going to be by and far the best player on the field. Yeah, the, the injuries last year you could both see coming in slow motion because it was just like two plays where you really did not want him running it at all. Yep. Um, so he also got injured in a season-ending fashion the year before, so we could be going for four here. Um, but I'm, I'm going Indiana too. The thing I'm most excited to see when Indiana has the ball is how Stephen Carr performs as the new featured back. Uh, former five-star from USC who we've heard so much about during spring practice, during uh, training camp, really just separating himself from the pack and looking to be a workhorse this season. And the thing that gives me a little bit of concern when Iowa has the ball is Tyler Goodson, is that Iowa offensive line led by Tyler Lindebaum, who we talked about last week. Yeah. Indiana last year under Kane Womack, very, very aggressive. A lot of blitzes, um, you know, and we're able to get productivity from the defensive line due to blitzers taking up extra blockers. That's how they were able to lead the big ton in sacks and interceptions. But um, this is still an undersized defensive line, and it's a tall task week one to go up against the Iowa rushing attack. Um, I mean, yep. same issue that Penn State is going to have going up against Wisconsin. Big ask week one. Um, so new defensive coordinator, Charlton Warren, this will be a big test for him and how he's going to be able to get enough guys in the box to limit Goodson while not leaving, you know, one of his talented defensive backs out on an Island. Um, so that'll be something to keep an eye on. And I think Iowa will definitely dominate time of possession in this one, um, as, as Penix gets more comfortable and starts to air it out more. That that was that's the wonder for me. Like, do, does Indiana try and stack the box and force Iowa to throw the ball because of the fact that the secondary is such a strength for the Hoosiers, or do you anticipate um, mixing coverage, trying to go a little more blitz heavy, um, not really showing things, throwing their cards early? I guess that's really the big ask, and we don't we don't have a clear picture yet if Warren is going to kind of mimic the aggression that worked under uh under Womack with a lot of disguising coverages a lot of you know yeah blitzes out of the secondary um but if you wanted to against a team like Iowa and a quarterback who is not among the best in the Big Ten Spencer Petras I think you could get away with stacking the box a little bit um and you know sending your guys like Mike McFadden, Cam Jones, um, even Marcelino Ball, um, just at the quarterback into the backfield as, as often as you like. But, right, yeah, I would definitely be more concerned about Iowa gashing them on the ground. So hopefully right. we avoid that a little bit. Um, Louisiana, the Raging Cajuns at Texas. Debut for Sark. Starting the year in the top 25 for the Raging Cajuns after uh, what was a great season in a great Sun Belt last year. Do you think the magic continues? 
I I want it to. I and it would be a poetic start for Texas, but I don't see it happening. I actually think Texas wins this one by double digits, pulling away at the end. Ground game is key for Louisiana. They had a great rushing attack last year, and that is what really helped them dominate the Sun Belt because they just cruised with time of possession. They have they had a strong defense as well um, to take away opposition passing attack, but they need to play their style. They need to slow it down. They need to basically play like Iowa will run the ball. It's obviously not the same type of running. It's more spread running, but run the ball, eat up the clock, move the chains, and they'll have a chance. I think I'm, I'm really interested to see Texas, how they run their offense. Are they going to go with the move it downfield up and down, you know, speedy, pace and space basically that that Sark brought to Alabama or is he going to play more within the skill set that his team has currently which would probably be a little bit closer to a pro style so I I want Louisiana I think we all do or you know everyone outside of the state of Texas does but I I just think Texas is going to be too talented too good you know win by uh double digits late I'm I'm gonna go with the Asian Cajuns. I think Iowa State last year was leaps and bounds ahead of where Texas is this year, um, and that's that's a big part of my line of thinking. But yeah, it's it's gonna still take a lot of things going their way. They will have to control the ball. They'll have to be opportunistic again, special teams, and generating turnovers. But I think yeah. they will be able to generate turnovers against the very first iteration of Sark's offense. And I don't know. I still, in my head, I'm having a hard time picturing anything other than spreading it out for Texas. Um, Right. Because they, he has been able to successfully do that with a, an NFL quality running back before Najee Harris will be able to do that again here at Texas with Robinson. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I think that'll just be the most intriguing thing in this game is just what it looks like when Texas has the ball. Um, There is no part of me that sees this game ending with Texas having like 10 points. They'll be able to generate offense, even with not Sam Ellinger back there and having Mm -hmm. to kind of start from scratch in that regard. But we can't sit here and pretend like Texas doesn't still have talent up and down the roster and Sark will be able to get, a lot out of that, especially on the offensive side. But this game, game one, I don't think it'll be enough. I I was not expecting this to be the game we disagreed on, but you know what? It's good. It's good for the listeners if they don't have to hear us agree on everything all the time. It's good personal growth. Yeah. Um, Year six. Here we are. The the other thing, like. Non-college football related, I wanted to talk about a little bit. Um, It's football related, at least. I know you had mentioned this yesterday, but high-profile high school football, national broadcast, which is basically like low-level college as it is when you're talking about schools like IMG. Yeah. um, Playing at the uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton over the weekend, playing a... uh, smaller Ohio school, presumably Catholic, known as Bishop Sycamore, um, which, as it turns out, is not a real school. 
Um, IMG won 58 nothing playing against players. Most of them, three, four years, they're senior. A lot of Juco dropouts. And just the more you look into this, the more you read about this story, it becomes more and more mind-boggling how a fake high school was able to get onto an ESPN nationally broadcasted game. Yeah. Uh, the, the tweet... The tweet that originally came up was from uh, Sports Talk SEC, and it was that there has allegedly never been a Bishop Sycamore. They played two games in three days. Their head coach currently has an active arrest warrant, and most of the players are JUCO dropouts who are not near college age. Like The, the fact that this has happened is, is astounding. The fact that they are getting teams like IMG to play them is even more ridiculous. Like, is there just no vetting process anymore for these, you know, for these high school games? Or are they just like, yeah, sure, ESPN's going to cover it? Cool, we'll, we'll meet you there. I mean, apparently, like, they... No one looked into this at all. Like, I'm sure people from Ohio, like, turning on and looking at the broadcast scene, like, Bishop Sycamore, parentheses, OH, like, where the hell is that? Yeah. If you look up the address, it's just like a couple of duplexes where I think all of the, the players stay and they've changed their name a couple of times over the years. And the, the wildest thing, which I saw today, the coach who did have an active arrest warrant for basically not paying for anywhere they lived over the past four years got fired from the the team how do you get fired from a fake school well when you don't produce results two games in three days that's how yeah and that like yeah and the, the game two days prior they had played black jerseys on black jerseys because that was the only one they had brought um yeah so just even looking at like the the pan over shots of the sideline, who thought these were high school guys? I don't know. I mean, people probably looking at the score line just assumed that it was like, oh, IMG just beating yeah. up on another uh, high school team, swinging a little too much for the fences. But right now, the the truth is even more depressing. You know what? I'm glad it happened. Good, good for Bishop Sycamore. Yeah, it's a, a person who never existed. Yep. Um, yeah. So that's a that's a story that I'm sure will one day be a documentary, and we just have no chance of ever seeing that again. Um, you would think, but never say yeah. never. We could we could see them under a new name in a few years with a a brand new head coach now that they've fired the old one. I don't know. I don't even know who they is, but someone did. That is, uh, you know what? Let's just hope for it. You know, start a fundraiser, get, get some money pumping into the Bishop Sycamore program, get a little better facilities, some recruiting, maybe pay off some of the unpaid tickets, get the old coach back, run, run it back. That's yeah. That's what they're missing. Well, yeah, <laughs> that that will do it for uh, 
week one preview. Everyone have a great Labor Day weekend. But before you do, be sure to check out Spread Option. Season two debut coming later this week uh, where we will have picks on these games. And if you remember listening last year, hell of a lot more. Uh, so, so get ready for that later in the week. And we will see you here, hopefully in great spirits, um, ahead of week two.